I'm going to title today's message, Thank You, Jesus. Somebody say, Thank You, Jesus. Thank you. I think it's all right to have a wake-up call once in a while, yeah? Thank You, Jesus. We're turning to Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 36 through 50. Um, before we uh, title this message, I, I want to just kind of tell you a story from my weekend. I met a squirrel. And uh, some of you, you know, if you're thinking about the, the ravens at this moment, you may be remembering Ray Lewis's dance. I, I found, ironically enough, called the squirrel uh, as well, the dance that he's famous for that you see pictured there. Uh, but what happened was, all of a sudden, uh, day before yesterday, I heard a sound in the walls that you don't want to hear. And in, in Baltimore City, you're immediate, like your heart sinks and you say, Lord, don't let that be a rat. <laughs> Right? right? It's like immediately your faith has to get engaged. Lord, please let that be a squirrel. Uh, and we, we are blessed in our uh, house to have trees uh, with lots of acorns, and, and it's a happy place for the squirrels. But when it got cold, they decided they wanted to come in. And um, I, I, we heard noises is going throughout the house. I'll try to give you the short version of the story. And I... Um, discovered that in the basement behind where the air unit is, there was uh, a hole where they could get out. And so I um, got some pieces of bread after the, I, I was, uh, I have an office down there and I was sitting at my desk and the air unit has this pipe that comes out and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I'm looking at a squirrel who is looking at me. <laughs> And that's an interesting moment because, like, I'm an animal lover, right? And, and yet I'm responsible for this house. And so, like, I'm having a moment where I'm like, okay, you're cute, but you don't belong here, right? Right? And I, you know, um, the, uh, I, I may have had a moment where some of you remember uh, Ray Lewis is, is known for kind of saying, who will protect this house to his team in a call and response? And the team would say, I will. And if you've ever been to a game or, or see, like you've heard that, they play it all the time, even, even to this day. Who will protect this house? I will. And I was having this moment. I must protect my house because you don't belong here, right? And uh, I was able to get some pieces of bread and, and put some peanut butter on the bread and, and coax the, the, the squirrel to come out from its place in hiding, kind of out into the, the middle of the basement. And I had opened the back door and I was able with a broom to safely just chase, nudge, pursue at a distance, safely the squirrel out of the house. I protect the house. I was so excited. And I turned around and came back and I heard another one. So the journey continues, where we are, we are in the process of figuring stuff out. But uh, in this story, we are going to talk about this sense of, you don't belong here, I don't belong here. And at Luke chapter 7, verse 36, we have a story, and, and, and I want to remind us that Dr. Luke has compiled a list of eyewitness accounts. And interestingly enough, in the case of this story, none of Jesus' followers are actually named or listed as being present. And in fact, Simon, who some would look at as the bad guy in the story, just may be the person who is telling this story to Luke. 
um, as he would have later come to faith in Jesus. And, and so the emotions and the thoughts that are going on here are something that's important. But I, we need to explain first what you see just in the, in the very beginning of the verse is that a Pharisee is hosting a dinner. And I need to just kind of give you a little bit of context of what those words meant to the people that were alive when this was written down. So a Pharisee um, is a person who's a part of a religious and political pow- uh, party a religious and political party that had power uh, among the Jews who were at this time um, in uh, underneath the thumb of Roman rule. Uh, but they carried on uh, traditions, some of the traditions which God gave them, and many traditions even at this time that the Pharisees had added on. And so whereas God had given them uh, you'll find in the first, uh, the early part of your Bible, God had given them reasons to party and specific ways in which having feasts that somebody could do regardless of their wealth. The religious leaders had instead twisted the system and built wealth and built political power and actually developed quite a bit of social strata, so quite a bit of social structure and added on all their traditions and ways in which making people feel inferior and making people feel not welcome, making people feel like they did not belong. And yet almost pandering to a state of theater, um, larger homes and larger feast meals like this were also where the doors were open. And so people could come off the street, anyone uh, could come off the street, as long as they would stand around the perimeter of the walls of the dining room and not interrupt what was going on. And so there was a a certain state of theater to this, where there would have been people witnessing what was going on uh, that were not a part of the story. And if any of you have ever, um, I don't know if you remember, I remember the first time my uncle got a video camera, and you got a, a video camera enters the equation, you start to act differently. So that is a part of the factor of what's going on here. Now, there also would have been at play here is that they had quite a procedure to this. There were invitations that were sent out by employees. An employee would come and give an invitation to a person to this meal. And then at the time uh, agreed upon for the meal, and this is all setting the stage for the story of what happened here, People would come, they'd come to the house, and there would be a formal greeting of the guests in the entryway of the house into an outer room in the house. So they were greeted, they were brought in, there were appetizers that were available in that outer room, and then there was uh, oil and cleansing, uh, different procedures that were uh, gone on, and then in an order of importance, they would have been invited into the dining room, and they would have been seated in a seating arrangement according to importance, a value, rank in the social structure, and age. And so, um, and in this time frame in particular, this would have been important men at the important places of the table, women and children at the far end, and then political, economic rank and value that was perceived. That's how they would have been met. And yet Jesus accepts this invitation um, into this room, into this place. So, so let's look at the story together. Uh, Luke 7, starting in verse 36. I'll just inject a, a couple little explanations. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home 
and sat down to eat. Now, just quickly, it will help you to understand. Uh, they would oftentimes maybe not have a table or have a very low table. They did not have chairs. They would have had pad. Some of you have the uh, the pads that are put out on some of these chairs and here pillows. They would have had pillows or pads laid around the perimeter um, of, of the middle of the room, and they would kind of recline, kind of laying on their side, feet to one side, uh, typically uh, resting on their left elbow or hand, and then using their right hand to take food from either trays that were on the floor or on a very low table. That was the common setup here. So Jesus went to his home and then sat down to eat. So everything I just described and the formality of it all would have already happened. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there. So she's aware that he's there. Some scholars believe that she's actually one of the people baptized by John the Baptist in the story immediately preceding this. She heard that Jesus is there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar that would have been a jar of precious stone filled with expensive perfume. Then she, So she brings this item. She knelt behind Jesus at his feet weeping. And this word weeping is crying to the point of making a sound. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair, which married women would keep their hair up in a, in a hairdressing. And so if she were a married woman, this would be really outside of normal social custom. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Uh, putting perfume and anointing of the body was an important uh, ceremony in the Jewish tradition as well. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, which is what G- people were saying about Jesus. In fact, you notice at the triumphant entry in Jerusalem, they specifically say the prophet. If, G- if this man were a prophet, and that's a part of the question, does he, have, does he have that ability to discern what the will of God is, what the thoughts and the feelings of God is? Does he speak on behalf of God? That's a part of the question. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. So Jesus perceives what he's thinking. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Jesus addresses him by his given name as Jesus typically did, not by their title and social structure. I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. And Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver. Your your Bible might say denarii. Denarii would be one day's wage. So 500 pieces would be 500 days worth of pay. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now this would have been unprecedented, particularly in Jewish culture, unless it were the year of Jubilee. Nobody did this. Unmerited favor, grace that you didn't deserve. I mean, they already had interest rates figured out. Jesus tells a story that is just weird. Why would this happen? So this person forgave them both, canceling their debts. And Jesus asked Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. 
When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think it's important for us to understand some of the big words that were used just in those last few verses so that we understand the meaning of what's being said. There's a big question around Jesus is not, what is Jesus saying about forgiveness? That's a part of the, one of the questions. Because Jesus is not the person who has been wronged by this woman. But he's saying that her sin is forgiven. And so that's scandalous. And it's important for us to understand that if Jesus were not the Messiah to confirm the law and the prophets, if that wasn't Jesus, then he's, then this is heresy. This is crazy talk. And yet Jesus is saying, you are forgiven, which means to release from or to remove the guilt of resulting from wrongdoing. So this is not just, he doesn't just say, it's okay, God loves you, you have no reason to be ashamed. That's included in this, but Jesus is saying something that is much more important for that. You don't need to carry around this sin anymore. You're no longer guilty of it. It no longer separates you from God. You are welcome into the kingdom of God because the guilt of your sin has been removed. That's what Jesus is saying. Wow. That's that's profound. That's heavy. That's important. We also see this word here because of your faith. And what does that mean? It's important for us to understand. It means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. Jesus is saying that you came here completely trusting that I am the way to forgiveness. The way, the truth, the life, that forgiveness of your sins can be forgiven. He's saying because you have put all, you're all in. You pushed all your chips into the table. You put all your weight on. You're putting everything that you rely on for your salvation on the forgiveness of Jesus. Because that is your response. You are forgiven. And we also see here Jesus using this word, look at the way she has loved, right? Or the people in the story, did they love a little or did they love much? But it's interesting, Jesus doesn't just, he could have used the word gratitude, right? He could have just said, hey, it's just, it's only about thankfulness. Like one person was forgiven 50 days worth of pay, another person was forgiven more than 16 months worth of pay. Which one is going to be more thankful? No, Jesus uses the agape love word. 
which is a decision. It is a commitment. It is sincere appreciation, high regard. It's love that is faithful, patient, kind, and committed. It is the same word that Jesus uses when he says you must love God with all you've got, with the best of your energy, and love your neighbor the same way you take care of yourself. It's that love word that Jesus uses to refer to her response of gratitude. And Jesus actually refers to it as kind of a, a, in a sense, a conditional part of this exchange, of this relationship. And so she is not passive, she is active. She heard Jesus was there, she brought a gift, she came, she, she wept, she anointed, she, she, right? She's active in this situation, and Jesus is saying that that also is an external sign of what was going on in her heart, and what was going on in her heart was an authentic, genuine connection with God, complete and total trust and reliance, but a wholehearted love a wholehearted, genuine appreciation, gratitude, to be sure, but also a love of God that is faithful, that is patient, and that is kind. And I think even the patience plays into this because she stayed there, physically stayed there, waiting while Jesus has this exchange with the religious leader. She was patient. Jesus also says to her, go. And it's an imperative grammar word. Uh, also, I forgot to mention the forgiven word is in the past tense. He says, you have been forgiven in the past tense. But here he says, go in peace. And Jesus used the erene, Greek word, which is how they refer to the shalom that God spoke of. A set of favorable circumstances involving tranquility. The absence of conflict with the presence of something better in its place. Jesus was literally saying, if you do a word study on this, go now that you have been made complete. We, we use this word holistic a lot now. Holistic medicine, holistic therapy. It, it affects your whole person. That's the peace word here. You have been made whole. You have been made complete. It's your whole person has been healed and brought to complete health. That's what Jesus says is the outworking of, the evidence of, the new spiritual state of having been forgiven. That's the result. Now we certainly easily drift into complexity and being focused on the things that are wrong in this world to be sure. But this is the spiritual state we are in when we receive forgiveness through Jesus. Now, there is so much in this story that we do not have time to unpack today. I would encourage you to reread it many times. I want you to know that for the people that were in the first 10, 20, 30 years of the church, the first 50 years of the church, the first 100 years of the church, this is a top 20. This is, this is maybe a top 10 story about Jesus that they read. According to history and the letters of the people who lived in this time, this was one of the most important stories because it revealed much about the way Jesus described the kingdom of God. This one's important. I want to just briefly give us a few other scriptures today that are connected to the spiritual principles here. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 uses the same peace word. We have peace with God through Jesus. It's that conditional aspect of it. We have been made complete. We are now spiritually made complete. And this is uh, in connection with this. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For everyone has sinned. All of us have a disorder of a heart. All of us have made mistakes, whether it be on the inside or the outside. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. We're all in this together. We all share this spiritual condition. And this is what is possible through Jesus. It doesn't matter your education, your ethnicity, your culture, your your financial status, your seeming perpetual mistakes. None of that is a barrier. This is available through Jesus because all of us have been in that state of sin. First John chapter 1 and verse 9, I want to remind you of this. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we, then He. Right? A cleansing, a removal of guilt, a removal of the barrier in relationship with Him, a welcoming into the presence of the living God, the only true source of love, hope, peace, and joy. That is what occurs. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. God saved you. Remember, that's the plural, all y'all believers in Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things He planned for us before. Imagine the transformation that happened in this woman. Her mistakes had her at a place of brokenness and desperation. She was no longer willing to just hide, keep it secret, but she was willing to come forward. She recognized because Jesus had been starting to communicate publicly, there is forgiveness for all who turn around. She responded to that. And she was not disappointed. Look at how she was treated welcomed at the seat, the most prominent seat at the table. That's where Jesus welcomed her. That's the economy of the kingdom of God. That's the value system of the kingdom of God. The person who would seem, feel like they are less than, that they should be an outcast, are welcome to the most important seat at the table. And those, and this Pharisee seemingly is more put off by the breaking of the social code than even her sin. And Jesus is pushing that aside and saying, this is how I think. This is how I feel. This is how it works. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to think about where you came from. What was your life like 
before the forgiveness of sins, before the cleansing. And if your life had stayed that way on its trajectory, where might you have ended up? I can answer that question. Without Jesus, I would be worse than nothing. I would be a detriment to society, if not dead. I've thought about this deeply on a regular basis for years. If not for the miracle that Jesus did in my life, I would be cold, manipulative, in pain, overwhelmed with addiction, with depression, with anxiety. If I hadn't been killed by someone else or other circumstances might have killed myself. That's my story. That's the reality of me without Jesus. But with Jesus, I have peace. I don't wake up expecting every day to be bad anymore. I'm not under the compulsion of addiction. I'm not dominated by depression and anxiety. I have real peace because of Jesus. I want to close with this. Here's what I have found to be life-changing for me in my response to Jesus. When I stop everything to say, thank you, Jesus. Here's what I'm talking about. I stop all activities. Turn off the phone if I have to. Look, get away from any screen. And I just take time to thank God for my salvation. I put aside all the other things about this life, the squirrel, the the bank account, the whatever it is, right? The clogged toilet, the clogged toilet in relationships, whatever it is, when I put all of that out of my mind and I focus on the one thing, which is I am saved. My eternal destination has changed. Heaven is my home. I don't need to carry around my sin anymore. I have been made clean. uh, Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Your sin, you don't have to carry it around anymore. You don't have to be identified by it. You're no longer waiting for punishment for your mistakes. You're made clean. You're made new. You're given a fresh start. You are given new spiritual life. And what does that mean? My love expressed in sincere appreciation to Jesus is thank you, Jesus. I belong here. Thank you, Jesus, I am forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, I am made clean. Thank you, Jesus, I am free from the compulsion to repeat my mistakes. Thank you, Jesus, I have new spiritual life. Thank you, Jesus, I am saved. Thank you, Jesus, heaven is my home. Let me tell you something. If you will do that, your whole perspective about your day will change. Your level of peace will increase. Your, your gratitude will change your attitude. Psychological studies have been done that prove that a gratitude list and using gratitude even for people who do not believe in Jesus improve their medical condition in their physical body and their mental health. Their stress level is reduced. Their level of peace is increased. And medical studies have proven this. A gratitude list works. I'm talking about thank God for your salvation. I can't do that for you. I can pray on your behalf, but I am not you. Only you can thank God for your salvation. And if you will, you will be changed. You will be in a better place.
Chris, will you come and play? Here's three suggestions I want to give you today for how to respond to this message. One, I want to invite you to take time each day this week to thank God for your salvation. Every day. Right now, you can set an alarm on your phone. Pick a time, 2.39, 6.39, 10.39. Pick a time, set an alarm on your phone, and when that alarm goes off, take 10 seconds at least to just thank God that you're saved. Come on. Get that phone out. Set your alarm. Set a reminder. Once a day. All week. Thank God for your salvation. And if you want, you can text me what you're thankful for. You don't need to. Text a friend. Post it on social media. Lots of stuff you could post this week that would be pretty meaningless and not really helpful. This might actually be helpful. Take time each day this week to thank God for your salvation. Number two, this week read the verses from today's message and reflect on what your salvation means. You know, every time we post a recording of Sunday messages online, the notes are there, the list of verses are there. I'm happy to email them to anyone who, who would want them. Just read those verses and think about what your salvation really means. Your gratitude will increase when you have a better understanding of what it is you're saying thank you for. Number three, tell one person something good about your personal story of salvation. All right, we want to have our time of communion. Ushers, if you will come, uh, make the elements.